Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks so much for making your way here, checking out the series. Uh, please do hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out. Three new interviews every single week to keep up with all of your favorite artists. Discover some new ones. Know what's happening in the music world. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions, wherever you like to get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, once again, I'm so excited to be talking to Shirley Manson of Garbage. We're going to be talking about this new record called No Gods, No Masters. It is so good. She takes a direct aim at the events of the past four years and, and well beyond that. Uh, and it's one of the band's most powerful statements to date. And, and Shirley is going to talk about um, how God and religion appear in these songs, uh, the benefits of being an outsider, and how their songs, uh, their older songs, Queer from the first record and Androgyny from uh, Beautiful Garbage, have really come to speak for today. Uh, Shirley's also going to dive into the post-punk and new wave influences that the band recall in the music on this record. And we'll hear about the chance of a deluxe edition, as I mentioned, of, uh, of 2001's uh, Beautiful Garbage, and the possibilities for collaborations on the upcoming tour. Why? Because it's the upcoming tour that also has Alanis Morissette and Liz Fair, a fan's dream on the way. Only sweetened even more that it's behind such a powerful record. Talking about No Gods, No Masters, it's Kyle Meredith with Shirley Manson of Garbage. Hi, Kyle. So No Gods, No Masters is a hell of a masterpiece and a hell of a statement. Um, I'm obsessed with this record right now, so... You know, whatever congratulations means in these moments, congratulations, because it's it's huge uh, what you guys are doing and, and what you've pulled off. I, I will ask, you know, I know it's an album written about the last few years, but it so speaks to the present still and, and to the future, because I had wondered what protesting would look like and sound like post-Trump, you know, once we get uh, the bad guy out of office. And I really feel like this is what we, what it's going to at least sound like. When did you know that this record was going to be this type of record? Well, first of all, thank you so, for your kind words. It, 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 you know, in this day and age, it still matters to me to have someone dig, you know, what we're doing and, uh, and take the time out of their day to, to share their enthusiasm. It's really much appreciated. Second of all, I guess, you know, I sort of, I personally knew the thrust of the record just by the first two weeks of writing with the band, um, just by nature of, of what was coming out my mouth <laughs> was different, you know, for us. And it wasn't a deliberate choice. It was just something that would emerge during the writing, um, inspired by a lot of this, the sort of sonics that the band were, were presenting. You know, they, they sort of create the, 
the stimulus, you know. So and then, you know, as a, as a singer, you bounce off whatever you're being offered. And and that this is what we produced. Um, we uh, are, are all very proud of it and, su and somewhat surprised by how prescient it is, you know, being that, like you say, we, we started writing it about 18 months ago. And, and here it is. And it's, I mean, it is a time to be fierce. And that comes through in full force on this record. Is there a challenge of taking this kind of content and making it poetic and keeping it poetic? I mean, I, I think there is a challenge. You know, I don't think you ever want to come out swinging in a really necessarily overt way when it's a time of great sensitivity. You know, these are these are very sensitive times. People are absolutely on edge. Everyone's looking for a fight. Everyone wants to be unreasonable. So I think it does require some nuance, you know, um, but at the same time, like you say, they're this is a bold record because these are these, the times I felt called for it, really. Um, and I just couldn't really hold back how I felt, you know, in my in my own life. It just was an authentic way of expressing what was the most important things to me at the time of making this record. Now, now, as far as people coming out looking for a fight, I do know that, uh, or I, I do hear that God shows up in at least four songs on this one. I mean, it sounds like you're calling the old man out, like pretty pretty blatantly. Well, you know, I think, I think God is being used to punish people um, and has done, obviously, for centuries. And I feel like, you know, we're living in these tumultuous times and I don't really see much practice of true religious um, attitude, uh, philosophy, um, acts of kindness. I'm not really seeing too much of that. And I was frustrated by that, by that hypocrisy and that cruelty. Um, and, you know, I grew up in a very religious household. I was um, a very devout child. Um, I took my religious studies really seriously. And the Bible has, as a result, sort of has been ingrained in me since I was a kid. Um, and my father was my Sunday school teacher. He's a, a very devout man. Um, and so, you know, God just by default has has been a, a, a feature in my life, you know, since I was very small. And I'm very interested in, in all religions, um, but I, I don't, I, I don't agree necessarily feel attracted to organized religion per se. You know, but I, I'm not intending to disrespect anybody's faith or religion. I think if you're a true believer, you will not be offended by anything that's said on this record. No, I mean, that seems to, I grew up Catholic for the first 13 years of my life. And, you know, my relationship and all of my friends who've ever had that sort of religious upbringing, the word complicated is just the word. Like, what's yeah. your relationship? It's complicated. Yes. Yeah, it is. And it remains with you throughout your whole life, whether you want it to be there or not. It just is, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, you know, I believe in the basic tenets of, of, of almost all faiths. You know, they're all speaking common sense. It's just that it's all obfuscated and twisted around by human beings. Yeah, I tell my son, <laughs> who's not been brought up religious at all, I tell him, I was like, when he asks about it, I say, you know what the rule is? Just don't be an asshole. That's what yeah. it comes down to. Amen, just Kyle. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. Just don't be an asshole. <laughs> I, there is a part in here that I, you know, when you get to Wolves, uh, the song Wolves, you know, when I hear it, at least uh, as a listener, I, it sounds like you're wrestling with someone. And I, you know, at some points, I wonder if it's yourself. At some points, I wonder if it's with God or, or with someone else. 
Can you speak a little bit about that song? I know it's going to be the first official radio single. Yeah, I mean, that's it's mostly really to do with the with the um, the battle with with self, you know, and how we're all made up of different facets of our personality and some are good and some are some are, are less impressive. And, and it's the struggle within oneself to to try to be kind, you know, try to be good, try to be the best you can be in your life. Um, and not resort to the worst uh, version of yourself, you know. And, you know, I find as a human being, I'm often resorting to the worst version of myself. <laughs> and um, it was actually inspired by a story which I had read um, on uh, Eastern uh, European folklore. And I, I, I'm so annoyed with myself because I read the story and I was so taken with the story that I I, 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 I sort of left my station and just made a note of it in my computer and then never came back to it. And so I don't know where it was from or who, who wrote it, but there's a story, a Eastern European story, um, fairy tale story about, you know, the, the wolf and uh, the, the boy who had the wolves inside and, and this wrestling of, of uh, good and evil, I guess. You know, again, it's there are, as you so what carefully noted there are a lot of biblical references throughout sp sprinkled through the record and um so this is the classic struggle you know in yourself to try and elevate your behavior but it isn't it just so easy to be awful <laughs> well you get that i guess a little bit in uncomfortably me as well i mean that you know kind of threads that way is you know which i don't know a person who can't relate to that song you know as much as whatever we try to project you know outward you know where yeah it, it's funny i mean that that song is is a, the classic outlier song you know um and i realized just my whole life i felt like an outsider you know i'm a scottish person living in america i'm uh a, the only woman working uh you know with all men um mm. i'm younger than the people I, I i surround myself with most of the time um i'm i'm just the odd one out you know and I always will be and I've just I guess I've got to that point of just accepting that that status the outsider status you know um and actually coming to realize that actually just being outside of the mainstream can be a great thing you know it's certainly been a great thing for garbage we don't sound like anyone else out there and we've never really fitted in with any you know scene you know we've never been part of the hipster festival lineups we've we've just we've we've never been part of a musical movement we've just always done our own thing by ourselves and that in the end has been phenomenal for our career you know it's great in the sea the sea of music to have your own identity you know and that's that's really priceless it's interesting something you just said though because you know, said you're the you're the only woman in a in an old guy band or whatever, but but that's important still. But you are there, and and I, I'm tying this back into some of the bigger themes on this record because you had said something, I believe, online or in another interview, I don't know, but you you said I want power to be dismantled and society reimagined, and and for me, you know, as as I see it, like that starts with representation, like you are representing something, even just being, you know the lead singer in something right there. And I don't know, it's like so many of us want this. So many of us want this general power to be dismantled and the society to be reimagined. And some days I, you know, some days, the most days, maybe you, I feel pessimistic, but I'm starting to feel more and more optimistic that at least we're going in that direction. Do you feel that? 
I do feel that. I mean, I, I believe in evolution. I really do. I, I, I lay my hopes at the feet of evolution and, and the, the realization that the younger generations behind us are way switched on in ways that we could never have imagined growing up, you know. And I think they're, thanks to the, to, the, to the power of social media, they're aware of things, you know, at a young age that we weren't. Now, there's a sad side to that, a melancholic side to that, but I think in general it's going to be good for the human race. I don't think young people are going to put up with quite the same amount of rubbish, of nonsense that, that we have, you know. I think they are very, very concerned about the environment. I, I grew up in the 70s. We didn't have any concerns about the environment. We didn't know there was a problem. So, you know, things like that, I, I, I do think that there'll be, there'll be a pushback against this old order that really seems that it's run out of ideas. You know, we are living in a very different world uh, as a result of the internet. You know, we, we really, you know, need some new ideas about how we all move forward as a society. And we need representation of all the marginalized peoples because they all have different experiences and therefore they're all going to have different ideas. And I think that's an incredible thing. And we are so stupid not to take the best ideas for our governments and move, you know, move our society forward, you know. But I understand there's a resistance to it because people are scared, right? People are, are conservative. They're worried about their children. They're worried about their, their retirement. I get where the conservatism comes from and I, I appreciate and I try to be sympathetic to, you know, the, the fear that I obviously imbues in people, but uh, we have to be courageous because we can't continue in this vein, you know. I was talking to my wife last night and we were, we brought up that book, The People's History of the United States. Oi. Yeah. And just the concept that it, it laid out like, okay, here's everything you ever learned, but from the point of view of the minority in that situation. And, you know, it's, of course, that's, you know, a lot of times that's a book we'll pick up in our twenties or something like that. And, but I, I said, yeah, I feel like for the first time we're starting to see that history, you know, the minority as being the bigger voice in it, at least the loudest, you know, the, the one getting some of the attention or whatever. And like, yeah, well, again, I, I mean, I think social media has helped galvanize marginalized mm -hmm. people, you know, and they, they are beginning to, to accrue power and a voice in society by default, which is a beautiful thing. Outside of government, they are able to galvanize a position and reach other people and, and start to teach people and start to explain why we're in this dreadful situation. You know, why black, brown, indigenous peoples are still suffering so much at the hands of this old patriarchal system, you know, and why we must seek to address it immediately. So I'll ask an obvious question. Um, did this album, did writing this album help you make sense of any of this, maybe more so? Yeah, I mean, it didn't, I mean, it certainly helped me sort of calm myself down. You know, that's the beauty of getting to be a writer for a living. It's a moment where you can express something, whether it's your fears, whether it's your hopes, whether it's your, your uh, fury. And, and to even register that for the public record just feels like something substantial and, and, and relieving. So I'm very grateful that I got to put down some of my thoughts on this record. And I'm grateful to the band that they met me on this sort of like quite intense plane. You know, I, I didn't ever get any pushback from anyone in the band. Um, and, and that surprised me a little, you know, because I thought maybe they'd be a little more uncomfortable with it 
but um, I've had nothing but support. So that's a glorious thing. Well, it's a beautiful marriage of, of what you're singing about, how you're singing and the music that it is met with. When I talked with, uh, with Butch last year, uh, of course, we we're talking about the Diamonds album, but I was asking about garbage and I think he used the two terms dark and schizophrenic and I didn't know what that meant at the time. When I heard um, The Men Who Rule the World, my first thought was, holy shit, garbage is a post-punk band now. You like, <laughs> and, and, and you do several different sounds all over the record as usual, but there is a sense I hear more than I've ever heard with you all before. That's, that's the term that I'm going to, that I'm going to go on the hill with here was post-punk. Like this seems like you all are going down that path further than you've ever gone before. Did you all talk about it in those terms while you were doing it? And, and was it different writing to this type of music? Well, I mean, I wrote most of my parts to the writing demos, um, which were much less fleshed out. Um, but the days that we started writing, Butch had, had made a, a delivery of, of a brand new drum machine called Machine by Native Instruments, and he didn't really know how to use it. And um, as a result, the, the, the rhythm tracks are very, very, and I use this word deliberately and carefully and with respect, the rhythm tracks were really naive because he was just figuring out how to use this particular piece of equipment. And as a result, you know, it that I think also sort of defined the sound of this record and that as a result, everybody else was very careful about the placement of their instruments. And it harkened back to these records that we all fell in love with, you know, um, post-punk, new wave. Um, we, we referenced a lot of like Gary Newman and... Roxy Music and Susie and the Banshees and The Cure, they, all these sort of bands that we grew up l- listening to and, and, and being influenced by. Yeah. So interesting. I just um, finished a Gary Newman interview. Um, oh, he's wonderful. What a wonderful human being he is. Yeah. And, and, Gen- a genius and a wonderful human being. And, and of course, we're talking about sort of similar things, you know, with, with what he's putting out right now and, and a little bit. Um, he's coming from more of the Earth's point of view. You know, yeah. as, to, as to what all's happening, but uh, but musically speaking, uh, I can completely hear that. And there's a great tradition of artists putting out some of their best work because they didn't know how to use the instruments that they were given. You know? I love I love that. I mean, to me, I think great any great art. Um, well, not any great art. Should I say there are lots of moments of 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 creating great art when you are able to get into a child's mindset. Because as you get older, you know, we've been in a band now for 25 years together. We've been in a band now for 25 years and, you know, you get stuck in your ways and you get stuck in habits and, and, and techniques that you've used successfully in the past. And, and, and it can get really dangerous and really boring. And I think on this record, we were able somehow to get back to us. Uh, I talk about this a lot, a beginner's mindset, which I think is... Is, is of vital importance as you get older, as you, you know, um, are become background music, you know, when you're young and you're the new thing, it's easy to garner attention. As you get older and people are used to you being around, people just switch you out, you know, it's, you, they just turn you down and, and it becomes harder and harder to capture people's attention. But I think if you keep things fresh for yourselves, then you can assume that that will be fresh for others, you know. So I think as you, you know, as you age, I think you have to adapt. You have to try things you haven't done before. You have to be brave. You have to change. So 
I think we've managed that with this record, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's a nice coincidence as I, I was looking back at some of your history because it's the 20th anniversary of, of Beautiful Garbage later this year. Yeah. And, uh, which was another time that that was a, you know, I think maybe that was the first time it really found you all experimenting with lots of new sounds on, on one record. And, and even looking back, by the way, you know, Androgyny being on that album and what it meant then and how more normalized you know, that subject matter has become now, you know, as we talk about the progress that we hope for, I think you can actually see it in that track right there, you know, over the past. Yeah, I, I agree that a lot has changed and changed for the better since we emerged in 1995 with Queer, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and I, I really am I'm so glad, you know, it gladdens me to, to, to see this, this, this slow shifts and, um, progress that's slowly getting made and I just hope that we can continue and on this path towards acceptance of other human beings who live differently from us you know and who who you know who deserve respect and deserve protection from the government and so on and so forth. I, I know that the uh, the important subject to hand is the new record but I wanted to quickly ask about that uh, just because anniversaries are what they are do you all plan on doing uh, uh, like the deluxe of beautiful garbage like you've done with the the previous two records? Uh, we might be flirting with that idea. <laughs> flirting? I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> you know, because what it is, I'm just a greedy fan when it comes to garbage. I want and I want. And I want. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And I know you're giving uh, plenty in return. Again, no gods, no masters. And the tour coming up. I, I was also just talking with Liz Fair uh, on Tuesday. Hey. We just did an interview. And of course, she has obviously nothing but great things to say about you all. And I've enjoyed hearing you all's uh, talking on your podcast, which by the way, I didn't even bring that up is so good. The podcast, Thank you. congratulations on the, uh, the nominations uh, that I Thank think I you. just saw. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty blown away by the whole experience. It's been nothing but inspirational to sit down and talk with these great artists. I, I, I'm so in, in awe. I've learned something new from every single one of them, you know, and it's just been the shot of, of inspiration I, I really was yearning for and you know to sit down with somebody like George Clinton you know or Esperanza Spaulding um, or Liz Fair like you said you know is is really really wonderful and and I come out of each interview kind of like on fire like I feel my veins are sort of burning <laughs> with excitement so yeah what a great thing to happen to me in, in this part of my life. I know that feeling quite well and and again as a fan like these are the conversations that you know growing up I think we always wanted to hear like these yeah. are the conversations between our favorite artists you know so thank you for doing that oh you're that very welcome Kyle <laughs> <laughs> and um I'll also be catching some of the shows I'm so looking forward you know as we all are to live music but especially this tour uh Garbage Alanis Morissette and Liz Fair I know I think I'm in a couple of the shows because you're coming close to where I am here in Louisville so awesome wait yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm really grateful to Alanis for her reaching out and inviting us to join this tour and, you know, having Liz Fair on there too. What bill? Yeah. Right. I mean, even I'm like, okay, that's a bill. That's a fucking bill. <laughs> I mean, tell me, please tell me that there's chance for collaboration, you know, in some of these nights. I don't know what will happen. It's, you know, it's, it's so complicated with, with trying to make sure everybody's safe making sure that we make sensible decisions with our travel plans and everything it's not going to be like a normal tour that much I do know I think we're going to have to make certain concessions and and decisions that are, are tough um but I just I just would rather be out there you know doing it and so I'm willing to make any concessions that I need to 
but you know, I admire Alanis. I think she's conducted herself with great dignity. And the, you know, you, you know, I was watching the Billie Eilish documentary the other day, and I was like, whoa, this is like Billie Eilish is the Alanis Morissette of her of her era, you know. And it never really struck me that Alanis would have that kind of pressure on her, you know, because she handled it so beautifully at the time, you know. And with great humility, so I have a lot of respect for her. No, absolutely, and and I can say the same about you. I mean, you know, the the amount of artists that you've influenced, I still hear, you know, parts of that garbage sound in a in a lot of new folks, and even in Billie Eilish too. You know, when she comes through with that electronic trip hoppy sound, you know, I think there is lineage, you know, to what you all have put out in the There's world. There's lineage to to everyone and everything. That's the most spectacular thing about being an artist is we're all interconnected, whether we like it or not, you know, whether we're proud of the association or not proud of the association. In this case, of course, we are enormously proud of anyone that we may have influenced um, indirectly or directly. And I don't know. I just feel grateful to be a musician working in this climate. It's really tough time for musicians and uh, to still be here, you know, 25 years later with the band, it just seems like a miracle to me. (laughs) I am personally so happy and grateful that you all have kept doing it. You know, no pun intended when I say this, the version 2.0 of Garbage, the one that took over about a decade ago after a few years, you know, away it's been just as exciting as the first time around. I mean, the music you all do is is so great and it's so amazing. And for me and my life, it's so important too. And, you know, this latest record with No Gods, No Masters is just another high watermark on your career. So thank Kyle, you so much. I think much. you and I should speak every morning and, and, and I can get these positive <laughs> affirmations in my life and I would just be on cloud nine constantly. You're good enough, yeah. you're smart enough and doggone <laughs> people like you. <laughs> So Shirley, thank you so much. This has thank been such you, a Kyle. pleasure. Thanks, thanks just um, for being interested. It, it's much appreciated. Anytime, anytime and every time. I can't wait to see the show. Uh, I'll see you out there, record. my we'll friend. Around. All right. All right. Sounds good. Cheers, mate. All right. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. So the last time Shirley and I talked, uh, I think it was back in 2018. And this is when we were discussing the 20th anniversary of their sophomore record, of Garbage's sophomore record, uh, version 2.0. I'm going to include that interview here. As she and I talk about the moment they became one of the uh, biggest bands in the world, how the industry has changed and the, and the struggles artists have today, as well as the sexism and equality. And, um, and this is where we started talking about what would eventually become No Gods, No Masters, part two of Kyle Meredith with Shirley Manson. Well, with all the anniversaries and the new albums, we can really probably pull this off every year for a little while now. So. <laughs> That's true. We'll have a new record next year. So there you go. There we go. Let's put it in the diary now. Well, I want to start, though, with uh, with version 2.0, because I got so excited when I saw that this was the 20th anniversary year and there was going to be a big celebration. Uh, this is the record that you've called that you think is the quintessential garbage record, right? Yes. Yes, I, I do, actually. Yeah. I, I sort of thought that, too, because, I mean, 
that first record, and I think I'm just really echoing things I read from you in the book anyway, but that first record was, was you guys finding your feet. This was the first record where you were a real band and everybody was firing on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. We had sort of, you know, I mean, history sort of speaks for itself. We sort of fell together, you know, as a band. And then we toured the first record for almost two years. And at the end of that tour, we were, you know, bolstered by the success, excited by the success and the possibility of making another record. And we sort of went into the studio with a lot of swagger. And um, I think you can hear that on the record. It's one of my favorite things about this period for you all is that you were sort of an accidental band who never really knew if you were going to take yourself seriously as a band, and suddenly you're one of the biggest bands in the world. Kyle, we're accidental people. What can I tell you? <laughs> it's, um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was so peculiar and so unexpected. None of us ever really sought the kind of fame that ended up coming our way. It wasn't something that we were ambitiously, you know, striving for at all. And so, yeah, to find ourselves, you know, on mainstream television and on the front covers of magazines was really surreal. I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, you know... It's ghastly. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite ghastly. (laughs) There was was one story of you saying you were walking through the airport and it was just your face everywhere. And I was mortified. I mean, I was genuinely mortified. I just like, this is the most uncomfortable thing that's ever happened to me. And I was, I felt sort of sweaty, you know, and sort of mildly panicked. And uh, yeah, I can't say we were very comfortable in that kind of limelight, as it turns out. I think we all felt a little self-conscious. And I hate to use this word because it's, but I think it's, it's, it's probably appropriate for how we felt. We felt it was a bit vulgar. (laughs) You know, that it was an obscene amount of attention. And it felt vulgar. What I, what was nice and endearing about reading about that time was still how much of I don't know is fangirl the right word because you're meeting all these amazing artists and and you're you have no but even today you're like oh my god I was hanging out with Nick Cave you know and oh my god you know David Bowie came into our life and I saw this as like yeah but you because you were on their level you know everybody was that level and. I I was never on the same level as David Bowie or Nick Cave. I can assure you, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you're right. We were mingling with our heroes and that was extraordinary. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There was lots of gorgeous things that came with that kind of success. You know, we had access to anything and anybody and that can be very thrilling, you know. So yeah, I don't want to sound too jaded because there was so much of it was so great fun, you know, and the most important thing was just that we were playing sold-out shows all over the world. That that was extraordinary, you know, and I wouldn't swap that out for the world. But all the rest of the stuff that sort of came along with the success, the musical success, was, you know, uninvited and, and, and certainly not well tolerated by any of us. Of course, I can say, though, that the most interesting part, and, and we should really concentrate on this too, was the music itself, because what a great record, and, and, and still how it stands up. My wife was asking last night, because I've been listening to the record a lot in the last week, week and a half, to kind of prepare and everything, and she said, you know, does it, does it sound different now than it does? And I said, you know, it's interesting, because so many records from that period, those were really coming-of-age years for me, you know, they have changed in various ways. Some of them are dated, some of them just change meanings, and this is one of the ones I feel like I can still connect to in the exact same way. Well, that is a fine compliment. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, it was a very forward thinking record at the time. You know, it's it's hard to imagine now that we're 20 years down the line. But when we made that record, nobody had made digital recordings yet, really. And we were certainly one of the first bands to, you know, to utilize a lot of the new fresh technology that the computer technology brought into the musicians universe, you know. And as a result, uh, I think that you can hear that on the record. It's sort of very different sounding to a lot of the records that came out around that time and really, really stood out and I think captured people's imaginations sonically. Because uh, what it was possibly one of the first records to be recorded completely in Pro Tools, yet there's still so much soul in those songs and that could have easily been lost. That's, I think that's one of the most surprising things about this record. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that, what you refer to, is actually just incompetence. <laughs> so, so we're using a lot of the technology, but we were literally, it was, we were a testing vessel almost, you know, and we had a lot of direct contact with the, the tech companies at that time. And we were, yeah, just beta testing, you know, pieces of equipment. And so there's a lot of mistakes still on that record that nowadays would be cleaned up, you know, and, and uh, therefore you'd probably, the record would sound much cleaner and, and, and more sterile, but there's still this sort of analog approach and still a lot of, like, as I said, sort of errors that um, give that, that there's a certain kind of life that version 2.0 has. And as far as the lyrics, though, I mean, this was, because this was the first one that you, I, I don't know how you say it, became full on fronting the band. Like this was all you on the microphone. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I certainly took a much more aggressive, a more dominant position, I think is probably fair to say. Because after my experience with the first record, I realized that I was going to be held accountable for absolutely every word that was on our record. And I was determined to be able to stand behind anything that came out of my mouth. And therefore, generally speaking, you know, I, I wanted it to be my own words. And I'm very lucky that I work with three individuals who have been willing to compromise and willing to, you know, put their their own lyrical bent aside in order to make me feel uh, that I am being authentic and true to myself. You know, it's very generous of them um, because they are all capable of writing great songs themselves. But I think one of the reasons our band has been successful is that it is it, it we are an authentic group you know we're sort of like an old school band we function that way and it's it's allowed us to flourish in in ways and, and thrive in ways that other bands you know have been destroyed by the pressures that that come with success and come with a continuing career as a band you know because you're all bound together it's very frustrating a lot of the time for the individual because the individual has to serve the, the group dynamic, and that can be very challenging sometimes. So when you're listening back then, and, and I assume you've had to a bit more than, than usual to a record like this, are there still songs that resonate the way they did then, now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very proud of this record. I've, I, I love it. You know, I've got nothing but great feelings towards 
the songs and um, I can still relate to a lot of the the stuff that we wrote about, you know, that we wrote about and covered in that record and, you know, right off the top of my head, you know, Paranoid and Pusher are two of my favourite songs that we've ever written. Um, yeah, I, I still relate very much to Hammering and The Trick Is To Keep Breathing, I think is a classic, you know, I think we've got a little classic in that that song. So, yeah, I've, 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 I can stand by my record proudly. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> So, so here's here's where, of course, everything uh, you know changes a bit uh, on that part of things because when you look back on on this time and not just you know the twenty years and and the music, but it's of course also the way the industry has changed and and it's so bizarre because again, reading the book, we know now all the shit that you had to deal with back then, but reading about that and seeing the way the industry has changed now, I mean, do you see that it's finally becoming a bit more positive? Oh God, no. No. The music industry is a hellhole. <laughs> Make no mistake. Um, you know, to be honest, it's it's an industry that has built itself around creatives, and its whole purpose is to exploit the artist. That's just how they make money, and they're really good at it. And that will never change. You know, if, if a record company is any good, they'll be exploiting you at every turn. That's their job. You know, and that that dynamic will never change. Not really. Otherwise, people aren't going to want to build businesses around creatives. If they don't get full, like, you know, crack at, at the whip, so to speak, they're not going to be interested. So yeah. there no, you have it. I was hoping, you know, in, in one sense that um, there's a bit more power in the artist's own hands these days to get their music out in ways that, you know, would have been impossible uh you know, in the 90s and, and for half of the 2000s, at least, without the support of uh, a label major or mini major or something like that. Well, you see, it's a double edged sword because, you know, when the Internet first sort of, you know, sprouted its wings, you know, and we were all very excited as artists that we could, you know, upload our music for free and be without a label and be without a distribution company, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was it, for a brief moment, it was fantastic and it did empower the musician. But now the, you know, with streaming services and this, that, and the next thing, you know, basically what's happening is these big conglomerates, these corporate monsters have cut deals with all these streaming services and so on, and they still make a vast amount of money, but it's not distributed to the artist. And now that any old artist can upload material onto the internet, all the all the great stuff can easily get drowned out in literally a nanosecond. So in order to stick out, you really do need a support network. And so you're sort of, you get an offer that you can't refuse, basically. It's like either, you know, there's the tiny, tiny, minuscule possibility that you'll have a breakthrough record. But that's a t- you know a tiny percentage. Or you join forces with a record label and just a- allow yourself to be grossly exploited on the off chance that they can break your record. You know, and for a brief moment, if you if you if your record is broken, it seems worthwhile to have been exploited like that. But then, of course, if you if you manage to carve out a career for yourself for any length of time, that's when the problems really begin because all of a sudden it doesn't feel so great to be so grossly exploited. You know, you make it 
it sound also glamorous being a rock oh, star? Oh yeah, it's oh yes, the glamour in the music industry is is extreme. I mean, obviously you've got you know you've got the upper class. You've always got the upper class who do extraordinarily well and do live a gl- glamorous life and do make insane amounts of money. And there will always be artists like that. You know, the Biebers and the Beyonces and the amazing Rihannas. You know, they're extraordinary creatures and and you know they've got vast amounts of talent. I'm not I'm not knocking them at all, but you know that's what I call the upper class. Right. There is no middle class at all in the music industry. It's either all or nothing. And you've got this this incredibly large working class of musicians who don't really, you know, make very much money and are holding down other jobs. You know, all the young musicians that I meet now, they're, they're holding down two or three jobs as well as touring, as well as making records. You know, it's tough, man. It's really tough out there. While, while we're on such happy subjects, uh, I'll put <laughs> another one here. <laughs> you can always rely on me to, to drag everybody's spirits down. No, it's, it, it, and <laughs> you know what? I'm going to use what you said there here in just a minute. I'll, I'll build into it because backing up again and, and in similar theme, it is also ludicrous to look back on that and think, oh, it was a thing that you all were a band that was three guys and a girl, and everybody made a point of pointing that out. And you had to deal with being, you know, a woman fronting a guy. Well, just a woman in rock, I guess, is, is, is the real way to say that. And, and I know there's an easy line, especially, by the way, as music was getting more dude rock at the time, that had yeah. to be just stupid for you to have to deal with on a daily basis. It could, yeah, I mean, that's fair, I guess. There were some very, very stupid moments that I had to sort of try and push through. But again, you know, I, I felt gratitude and privilege that I had even got to this point. And I think that's what kept me marching forward. I was just like, I realized how rare it was to be a woman in this environment. And I was grateful, you know. So you just sort of muscle through and just try not to let it get to you too much. Well, I'll ask a similar question the several movements that that are happening that are finally putting a lot of this conversation into the you know the the forefront and the context do you see that these changes are finally happening for the better you know i'm very grateful to the me too movement i feel like it has started a conversation that really desperately needs to be had you know i guess what leaves me a little despondent is that i feel like our culture has just sort of looked at the me too movement as a quote unquote female issue And my perspective on this is actually it's a male issue that we are discussing here. And why so few men have entered into the discussion in any positive, empathetic, supportive way surprises me. Because I feel like we are talking about y'all's midden. This is a mess that you have all made and we need to clean this up. You know, you need to get your fellow brothers to like toe the line. Because the statistics are extraordinarily shocking. And I, I know all the good men that I know and love are kind of horrified and, and, and genuinely shocked that it's one in three women and one in seven men who like, experience some form of you know, male aggression whether that's sexual or otherwise, you know, and uh, that's an extraordinary statistic that really demands our attention and, and, and really calls for some close examination that this has to stop. This is not right. Obviously, being a guy that's asking this question and everything, and I know how that can be because it's always awkward on my end, no matter how much I think I'm the good guy in the equation, because I know I've been guilty of it at parts, even if I can't remember. And it's embarrassing because... As you say, it is us. 
you know, no matter what I try to say, it's still us. Yeah, and it's all of us, you know, too. It's our whole society and what we choose to tolerate and what we don't speak up about. And, you know, I just think that's what's so great about the Me Too movement. It is giving us all an opportunity to really talk about these kind of very difficult, challenging, scary, you know, awkward, you know, topics, you know. Well, I always love that you're... Uh, as the phrase goes, putting your money where your mouth is, because uh, you've been um, well, one of the many things uh, I'll say uh, with music festival equality. That's that's a that's a big thing you're championing right now, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I just champion women, to be honest. And because I'm a musician, then you know my immediate attention sort of falls into my own sphere. But I want just things to be better. I want women to have a more equal representation. You know across the board and that in particular we have to focus on women of, of colour and black women and you know the opportunities that they are currently you know enjoying are, are so few and far between and it's so wrong Well I, I see the changes out there and, and I'll go back to that one specifically I know there's been one festival losing the name of it but uh, you know that's already pledged that it's going to be you know, as 50-50 as they can get it. And and that's great to see that people are reacting right away, you know, so the steps yeah. are being moved I, And I appreciate that, you know, because I think each gesture has power in it and puts pressure on other festivals to do the same. And I understand that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, this is ridiculous, you know, and, and they sort of blow off about positive discrimination and, and they're very offended by it. But I do believe as I've gotten older that unless we incorporate positive discrimination, then we'll never change anything. You know, we, we, people need a hand, a leg up and we have to start somewhere. And otherwise, you know, the representation, female representation will remain as it is. So, yes, I think it's great to, to really make these pledges. And I know for a fact there's plenty of talent out there and when people tell me that the public it's we're simply you know we're just simply giving the public what they want I totally totally disagree with that the public will take what they're given for the most part from the curators of art you know because they don't know what else they could be getting they just are offered up acts on a festival bill and I don't think for one second they're they're thinking, well, what's behind the curtain? What didn't you give me today? Instead, they're like, this is awesome. You know, we're having a time of our lives, these great bands, and everyone's drinking and partying and having a great time. So I just don't believe that the public don't want to hear female musicians. I'm sorry. I just, I, I find that just a ludicrous argument. Well, it doesn't take that far to even prove that wrong, too, because, you know, you, you got the guy on the Grammys, the guy who runs the Grammys, saying that, Neil Portnoy. Yeah, that horrible line that he said. And, and then, you know, just look at any top ten list. You know, close your eyes and pick any, uh, you know, magazine or, or website or whatever and top ten list. And what you're going to find is it's predominantly women artists creating the most interesting stuff. And, and that's, like I said, just look at any of them. And, and for him to say something like that, it's like, dude, what music world are you living in? <laughs> Well, he definitely, Neil Portnoy made a very ill-advised comment for sure and really, you know, revealed himself for the old out-of-touch misogynist that he is. I'm very surprised he remains in that position, actually, because he's already shown all his cards. You know, we know how he thinks. He's not a female-identifying uh, artist ally, just full stop, you know. But in some ways, I'm, I, I was relieved when he made that kind of silly comment because it's sort of proof that that's what women are up against. You know, people can poo-poo us all they want, but the fact is 
these attitudes are prevalent in the music industry and, and they remain that way and have been like that, you know, since basically since rock and roll began. Mm. So, you know, we just have to keep pushing and hopefully things will change. And I do believe ultimately they will change. Well, I, believe in, I believe in evolution, Kyle. It looks like it's happening. That, that's the nice thing. And having you as a role model, uh, a mentor that I see is happening more and more out there as, as new artists, you know, uh, are created every day. Um, and the work you do with the, the girls school out in LA, the mm-hmm. festival out there. I mean, that's the positive stuff. That's the stuff that's making a big change. And I think you're one of the best voices to have, uh, you know, on, on the megaphone out there. So all the compliments and, and praise. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very generous and kind and sweet, but I can think of much better allies and, and role models for them, but I'm all they've got right now. So they're just going to have to make do with me. <laughs> Well, let me let me turn it just a little bit lighter, and and I'm going to get back to the music too. But as you're looking at those um, at the new class, you know, as these artists coming up, do you do you see yourself in any of those or any any names specifically that you sort of go, oh yeah, no, I I get you, I get what you're doing there. You know, I, this sounds like a weird thing to say, but I feel a kinship with any artist who emerges. You know, I can identify with their driver and their sort of driving spirit, you know, and their ambition and their longing. And so some artists are not necessarily making the kind of music that I personally would be excited by, but I still get excited by them, you know, as as figures, as people, as women, as as little fighters, you know, and and I I don't know, I just I I want the very best for them all. I I I know how tough it is out there. It is a tough career in music, you know, it really is. You don't have any job security. You you don't get a pay packet at the end of every week. You don't get insurance. You, you know, it's it's difficult, you know, and it remains difficult. You know, I've had a really long career at this point. I've been making music for thirty five years, and it's still uncertain you know my future is always in in flux and that can be stressful on 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 people and i see a lot of fragility amongst young artists particularly right now for some reason and i just want to protect them or at least put protections in place so that they have a better chance of weathering the the you know the storm that will inevitably hit them at some point during their career. Interesting that you're the second artist uh, I've talked to in the past 24 hours that used the word fragility when talking about uh, sort of similar themes. So, mm. yeah, right there it is. Yeah, they're funny times, you know. I, it, I think young artists now are so much more self-conscious than we were, you know. We didn't have any social media, so we had no we had no interference in our lives or our heads, you know. Nobody could mess with our brains, but I think with social media, there's so much mind effing that goes on that I think it's it remains very challenging for a young artist to hold together. I'm always saying that hold, hold the line. You know, I'm always saying that to all my young, you know, young people that I meet who are artists. It's like you got to hold the line, yeah. and that is really hard when you get pushed up against every day in every way. Yeah. Well, again, having you be the person that tells them that. Uh, is a big up to begin with. Um, I don't know about that. I think that's the problem is when you become old, which of course I am at this point, you know, young people just look at you like you're some kind of freaky, freakazoid that came from outer space. You know, they they can't necessarily relate to you. And that's the problem because I feel like in in our culture, you know, older people do have something of value that if, if young people are really willing to listen, they can get some jewels of advice, you know, or or just methods of protection. But, yeah, I mean, that's the age-old dynamic between the young and the old. We're always sparring with one another and and dismissing each other, you know, and I just feel like I, I 
continue to want to learn from young people. I think they've got a lot to teach me, but I too believe that young people have got a lot to learn. So stop, you know? They listen to the music. They they connect with your music, you know, however long ago that is, as we're celebrating that 20th anniversary of version 2.0. You know, it's, to me, you know, the elder versus kid argument, you're right, has been there forever. And it's, you know, listen to my wisdom. And they're like, you know, just go away and let us be us. But I find... Uh, maybe as an um, outside of not being an artist, you know, be, being on the part that I'm on and everything, that it doesn't, that part doesn't exist so much because for us, you know, we're listening to the music, we're connecting. So I think I always look up to the artists to kind of guide, you know, because that's, it was their art that I connected to. It was, it was, it was your art or, or, or Bowie's art or whoever's art that made me the person I am, you know, so that's, that's wide open ears right there. Well, I guess that's just mute, the power of music rather than the power of the musician. You know, I think music has got an ability to touch people regardless of their age. You know, it's all, it's it's something mysterious and mystic and, and strange that I don't think any of us have been able to figure out how it works, why it works and how powerful it is. But yeah, music's got an extraordinary ability to cross all genders, all creeds, you know, all religions, all colours, all everything. And that's what makes it so magnificent in a way. So you're taking this record out on the road. Uh, I will selfishly ask, uh, I only see UK dates right now. Do you know if there's going to be any plans to, uh, to bring 2.0 to the States? There are some plans afoot, but if and when we do it, it will be a very, very limited run. Because we, we, we toured last year and the year before, and this year is supposed to be us writing our new records. So mm. we're loath to take out too much time but we understand that there's there's been a, a somewhat of a frenzied demand from the fans so we're going to try and, and put, put in a few dates but yeah it, it, it won't be an extensive tour which is unlike us because we normally like tour for you know a year but this will just be a matter of weeks yeah well i know that the last anniversary tour is sort of what got in the way of strange little birds getting wrapped mm-hmm. up so if it means yeah. that you guys are gonna you know if it means more studio time to get the next record out that that's fine that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know the anniversary—the anniversary was always meant to just be something fun and just give give these records that meant so much to us a little cursory, you know, love. But yeah, it it, it must not become our main preoccupation. You know, it's always looking to the future. I think is good. Uh, I'd love to ask about the new record. You guys are recording uh, what out in California, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in yeah. the desert. Well, that we haven't actually accomplished that yet. That was the big plan. But for a, a lot of different reasons, we ended up going back to our studio in Atwater, which is where we always work. But in next month, we are planning to go back out to Palm Springs and we're going to live together. In a, and we haven't done this since the first record. We're all going to live under the one roof and we're going to record during the day. Then we're going to go out to dinner and then we come back and we're going to have band movie sessions which is what we used to do back in the day so this is the great plan whether we'll actually pull off or whether we'll all end up arguing and getting into our cars and heading back home i'm not entirely sure but that is the plan and we're all pretty excited about it actually yeah because back then you didn't have a home to run off to if it didn't work out you were still stuck with each other and now there's there's that little out if you need to take it that's right that's right well that's the that's very true but uh, we, we're going to just see how we get along um, and use, using a different space and a different environment. And we've got some plans, you know, so we'll see. 
Yeah. We'll see how it goes. I, I love the, the the idea of that and sound of that. I also am curious, you know, when, when the album eventually down the road finally gets recorded and finished, I know the desert can add, you know, some interesting moods and sounds to a song. I mean, even, you know, in Palm Springs, uh, I'd kind of be curious if that sort of snakes its way in there. Uh, I do say. hope so. Yeah. I do hope so. I, lo- I love that desert magic, but, you know... You never can tell. That's the thing. You know, you make all these big plans and then, you know, you get in a room with each other and and you start playing and and it just, you can't control it. Just whatever happens, happens. And it's often so far removed from your plans. You know, it's funny. It's just how it goes. Well, either way, Shirley, I cannot wait to hear how it happens. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate your support. This has been so much fun. I always have so much fun talking to you. Thank you for taking the time. (laughs) Thank you so much for your patience. <laughs> no patience at all. It's, uh, uh, it's all my honor. And um, you know, we'll do this again next year when there's a new record. All right. Yeah, it's in my, it's in my diary. <laughs> all right, great. You're on my dance card, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you. All right, take care. Thank you, you so much. Bye. Bye. So that's a 2018 interview with Shirley Manson as we talked about the 20th anniversary of version 2.0. During that same time, I also got to speak with uh, Duke Erickson of the band Garbage to talk more in depth about that same record, uh, playing the album live and full on that tour, uh, the songs they hadn't played in a very long time. And again, at that point, his thoughts on what would become this new record at No Gods, No Masters, part three of Kyle Meredith with Garbage. Pleasure to talk to you. You too. The celebration, 20 years of one of the greatest albums of the 90 with uh, version 2.0. You know, this, as we look back on it, you know, and I got to read the book too, which was so much fun to kind of experience it through your all's, you know, stories in that way. But when you look back on it, like this, at least perception uh, on my part, seems like this is life at the top of the world at this point. Did it feel like that for you, though? Well, I think, I think it, it did as much as we had time to notice what was going on around us. You know, we'd, we'd be, we, we toured for like, I don't know, 20, 22 months or something, like 20 months around uh, version 2.0. So we were so busy with that and exhausted. And, you know, we were having a great time, of course. We were seeing the world, basically. But for us to, to really be aware of, what the album was doing and how well it was selling and how it was getting played on the radio and all of that stuff was just these, uh, you know, uh, occasional reports from the home base, you know, so to speak. So we had some heady moments, of course, you know, playing uh, certain venues and, and meeting a lot of people and, and uh, being nominated for awards and all that stuff. But uh, for, for the most part, we were just out on tour sort of, oblivious in a way of of how big this record had become but as your all statement i mean this was the point where you said now we're a real band like this is this is the real thing this time because as the story goes with garbage you know with that first album set up it was sort of like testing the waters and it feels like everything sort of happened accidentally that's exactly right i mean i think i think we had you know cheryl was new to the fold, of course, on that first record, and she was still new coming into the second record, really. But but having had some success and been on tour with that first record, and then coming in the second record, we had become more of a of a of a band, and and had sort of figured out a musical direction, I guess. Um, and Shirley had become much more involved with with. Uh, the songwriting, the lyrics, and the production than she was on the first record. 
not to say she wasn't involved on a press record, she was very much so, but not to the extent that she uh, took over the reins for nearly all of the lyric writing on the second record and, and a lot of the uh, you know song ideas and production ideas. And it was just, we became much more of a foursome rather than a threesome plus one. Speaking of that right there, um, at, during that time, was that difficult at all for you to kind of let go of? Because... You know, suddenly the attention was on Shirley too. You know, as as the front person, that's where the attention went. So not only are you sort of giving up part of the songwriting, uh, and I don't know, you know, how important lyrics were to you at the at that time, but then you know, as the camera goes, you definitely become one of the guys in the back, as as sort of the joke went throughout that book. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I don't think any of us were unhappy with the attention Shirley was getting. Um, uh, you know, it it, 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 she deserved it for one thing, and still does. It, 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 it didn't, it didn't take away from how we worked in the studio. That was the main thing. It didn't take away from how we shared the work on the music itself. Had 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 it affected that, I think we would have all had a problem. <laughs> you know, but it, it never got in the way of that. That's just all. That's all. Just how you know, public perception and all that you know the the pr side of things mm-hmm. um but we still work very much as a, as a as a band together in the studio writing the songs and sharing all of the you know everything that comes with being in the band the uh as much as uh we could deal with the business side of stuff and all that we we all shared equally in that so i don't think any any of the three of the three of the boys in the band were bothered by that at all well uh, the way it comes out of the music is of course so impressive too because you have this great meeting of electronic meets rock you were pushing against what was possible with pro tools uh which is which is really amazing given how new all of that was but i guess what the impressive part is and, and i know a lot of that came from you is you wanted to make sure this record still had soul what was the challenge there you know, anytime you start uh, incorporating a computer into anything, <laughs> that soul can quickly become uh, secondary. Uh, it, it can it can get too easy sometimes. You know, Pro Tools is, is a is a mixed blessing. It's a blessing and a curse. It it it, it opens you up to a whole new universe of possibilities, and that's exciting and wonderful. But it's also it's also a dangerous dangerous. Um, you, you can you can lose your as you put it your soul in it. You can lose the human feel, and you can just second guess yourself way too much. And we did a lot of that on that record. I mean, we you know you could try forty different things uh, just on the guitar part, <laughs> you know. And we did a lot of that. I think we wasted a lot of time just you know uh, exploring the possibilities these these new possibilities that uh, Pro Tools offered up. I think we're you know, and I think we still wrestle with that sometimes, but um, I think we got it. Uh, we've kind of tamed the beast a little bit at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Were you doing much sampling on on that second record? Because uh, I know there were some pretty famous ones on the first record. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we were we were still we were still doing that. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of a lot of that going on, but we were also using Pro Tools in place of that sometimes. So it was it was a back and forth. Yeah, we were. Finding loops and using a lot of uh, sound stuff that we would pick off of an old record or something. I think that's uh, what got me is I couldn't tell as much on the second one. Like it really did blend well. And 
you know, you talk about those those beats. I mean, some of those beats are maddenings. Like I couldn't even to figure out how to find the space as you're just layering on all of these things. It's that seems crazy to me. <laughs> it's a very layered record, that's for sure. There's there's a lot going on on uh, version 2.0. We discover that every time we go on tour and we listen to the, you know, we we always listen to the to the recorded versions before we start a new tour to remind us of what people hear from those songs so that we can maybe either, you know, give them what they expect or surprise them. So we always go back and yeah, there's a lot going on on that on that record. God, Push It had a lot going on in that song. But um but that was a, you know, that was a part of the exploration. That was part of the uh this whole new world of possibilities. Now with uh, playing the album live, you know, that you're going to do in a handful of shows over in the UK and hopefully with a few shows over in the US. Are there are there songs that you that that you hadn't played in a, in a long time that you've had to relearn? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of songs on there that we haven't played in a while. I think we've played all of them at one point or another live, but um, "Wicked Ways" I don't think we've played in a long time. I don't think we played uh, "Medication" and so forth. You know, but we we've given different treatment to those songs live. So um, mm-hmm. we'll see what we come up with for this tour. I think we're going to have fun with it, and and we're looking forward to it actually. You would think after all this time that uh, we always get asked, you know, as, as every band does of our ilk, you know, of our age, <laughs> you must get tired of playing these songs. But we don't really. We don't. And and, uh, and diving into these uh, these tracks that we haven't played in a long time will be will be enjoyable for us. And and then along with that are all the B sides that accompanied that record. And there's some really good tracks there too. Some songs that maybe would have deserved to be on the record had we had them ready in time. There's a few B sides on uh, uh, "Soldier Through This," which is a great song that we. I mean, and, and part of the uh, what makes those songs the B sides they, they were fun because we had to do them really quickly, mm-hmm. and we couldn't do a lot of second guessing and a lot of messing around. "Soldier Through This" was the song that we, we recorded. And we were kind of on tour, I think, and we happened to be in L.A. and we got stuck in this little studio at A&M. I mean, it's a tiny place, and we recorded two two tracks there, and they're both pretty good. You know, we did them in basically uh, a day or two. It just shows up. I mean, to have such strong songs that didn't make it. I mean, the album itself it had six singles to it. Which these days yeah, is crazy. completely unheard of, you know, six singles for one album. Yeah, it's it's so it's 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 a sad state of affairs when albums are kind of being overlooked as a uh, well as a as a as a format as a presenting your work as a body of work rather than a single with a few tracks on it. It's kind of like the way it went back in the fifties, I guess, wasn't it? In the fifties, right. where you'd have a hit and then they'd put out a record with. 11 tracks that were not very good but once the album the album became um it became expected of of a band like us to put out an album of work you know it's like you don't an artist doesn't put a painting one painting on display put out uh, a gallery full of paintings so that people can see a direction rather than just one example of it it's not necessarily even um economically good idea to make albums these days it costs money to 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 do the work and the studio and blah 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 but we'll we'll always do it because that's who we are that's what we love to do 
Well, thank God. <laughs> As a fan, <laughs> I will say that. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll 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 expand on that question. That you know, the bigger question that probably gets thrown at you quite a bit too is, do you see over this twenty years since two point or or thirty years, forty years, however you want to look at that, that the industry in the, where it is now has changed for the better or or worse? Well, I, I would say I would say that for the, for the, it's changed for the worse um, as far as the industry goes. I think there's some really exciting music out there, but. I think the fact that an artist's work can just be heard for free without any compensation is is robbery, really. I think it's it's gone to the point where record labels, what have you, don't invest in their artist's career as much. If if an artist doesn't succeed on the first single, it's pretty much over. That kind of development that used to happen is no longer... Uh, uh, respected and uh oh i don't know i guess i could go on and on i mean you know it used to be an artist could make a great record and 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 get and get reimbursed at least for the work you know it's intellectual property whatever it's it's your art and it's just kind of taken from you rather than uh uh paid for and i think artists are constantly trying to figure out how to you know make the uh purchase of the vinyl or the CD a more uh, attractive commodity but you know if you don't have to pay for it you just want to hear the music it's easy enough to do maybe someday it'll it'll be turned around and when it, when it's realized you know what actually is happening it's 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 not right it's just not right I'm coming up <laughs> sounding like I'm really bitter or something that I, I you know I, I feel bad for new bands who who's who, who put out music and and can't you know all you can do is play live to make a, a living and that's a rough that's uh exhausting it's great it's fun but uh it's it's exhausting it's difficult it's and you know uh how many bands do people go see in a month right not that many well i'm i'm uh Still happy that you're all doing it, uh, regardless of the challenges, because so are, so are we. So you know, are we. <laughs> your music has meant so much to me. It's meant so much to a lot of people, and you know, and and, and not only to celebrate these classic albums uh, that you've been doing lately, but also the new music. I mean, Strange Little Birds is one of my favorite records in your entire catalog. You know, to be pun- oh, that, pumping out that uh, that's really great to hear. I appreciate you saying that. It's uh, it's one of my favorite ones too. I think I think. Uh, you know, and we're going to start. Uh, we're going to start work on a new one in April. So, yeah, um, I, I heard about this because uh, speaking with Shirley too, she says you guys are going <laughs> to go all the way back to living together uh, and trying to do that again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I hadn't really thought. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> that that makes me laugh. I feel like maybe that's, there should be cameras involved. You know, God forbid. This is um real real world Palm Springs garbage edition. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do our own let's do our own reality show. Why not? Um, I, I I told the same thing to her too. That um, you know, recording out in the desert. Uh, I feel like the desert is one of those environments that can really that can really alter a sound. You know, it's an environment that really pushes people into something. I'm I'm really curious to see if that happens with you guys. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that. I, I, I want to spend as much time out in the desert as I possibly can, just in a rent a car and just go out and 
sit there and uh, marvel at, at that landscape. And, you know, I think it's usually a uh, subconscious kind of thing, but I think your environment, what you see during any particular day, affects what comes out of you musically as a musician musically uh, the next day. I think, I think it, all, it all works somehow, and uh, it'll be interesting to experience that. Congratulations, by the way, on um, on all the accolades you got for American Epic, too, uh, and everything that you were part of with that. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a, a labor of love and uh, a long one, and I'm really delighted with how it turned out. And yes, we're getting, we're getting, um, it's kind of been a slow, didn't really get uh, the uh, proper release boot that it needed or deserved, but it's having kind of a slow uh, rise. People are becoming aware of it more and more, I think. So uh, it's very gratifying. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I hope to see one of the shows. Uh, I, I really, uh, I'm really looking forward to it, uh, making the trip if I need to, which I probably will. Uh, but I'll do it. And, uh, and you know, maybe we'll I appreciate this. that. Yeah, we'll do this again when the next record comes out. You bet. It's a pleasure talking to you. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye. So we'll keep going here. We'll just keep going. 2016, Shirley and I got to talk about uh, the Garbage LP Strange Little Birds escaping the 90s timestamp and dealing with the uh, harshness of what was happening in the world. This is part four, Kyle Meredith with Shirley Manson. Hey, Kyle, how are you? I love the new Garbage record. Uh, Strange Little Birds is uh, it's, it's a complete triumph for you guys, which is so exciting to see for any band who's been around this long. I know it's not the easiest thing to continue to put out amazing music, and it looks like uh, it's exactly what you guys have done again. <laughs> You're making me feel really good this early in the morning. Um, I think it's a good record. I think we all know it's a good record, actually, and I guess you're right. That's really rare, you know, at any point in your career, but to, to know it 21 years in does seem like a real gift, you know, at the risk of sounding really daft. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. You should be proud of what you've done. And, and for, I mean, it was the last album, you know, as, as the story goes now, that brought you guys back together after a little bit of a hiatus. And, and and it seems like this is the album that really makes it real, though. Like, I see a lot of those bands who are sort of reunites for whatever reason, and they do the one-off record, and then, you know, they disappear again. But to follow it up, I mean, does it feel like now this is really real again, that it's still garbage? Or, or maybe it always felt like that for you, that it never went away? Yeah, to be honest, we never even split up. I'm no, I've really no idea entirely where that sort of uh, description has come from because we never said we were, you know, splitting up or that there was any real problems between us uh, per se. But um, we definitely took hiatus and just life took hold and, and we ended up really being away for much longer than we ever intended to. Um, so, yeah, we always felt like we were together and we've always felt real. I mean, it's funny because the accusation of us not being real has followed us throughout our entire career um, to the point where I think we're beginning to like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I'm not, uh, you know, accusing you of anything right there. It is a complete perception. Um, sure. You know, I stand correct because that's a much that's a fair way of putting it. I guess that's a lazy description I'm using there, but... Uh, yeah, we've been perceived as probably the best idea. <laughs> well, no, it's it's easy, you know, for any band again once you have a hit to be trapped in an era, and 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 you guys were in you know in danger of that as any band would be. And and again, you know, even if it was just a hiatus or a break, you know, coming back and doing the last record and it being good, and then putting out Strange Little Birds and it being great, it seems like that's the ticket to escaping, you know. 
I'm a band from the 90s for whatever stamp that, you know, gets put on you. Sure. I mean, you're absolutely right. We are described always now as a 90s band. Um, and in some ways, you know, it, it does feel somewhat reductive, you know. But at the same time, we're lucky in that it's such a great era to be associated with that I think we just try not to take heed of it too much. You know, we don't take it to heart too much. People will forever label things, and we've been labeled, and that's life, and we just have to get on with it. But um, we feel that we've still got something to say as a band, you know, and and, uh, so we just try and not really pay much attention to what other people have to say with regards to the kind of band that we are. Of course, it is interesting that you've had more albums out of the 90s than you did in the 90s, so for what that's Fair. <laughs> that's very fair. You're setting me straight this morning, I have to say. I'm happy, <laughs> happy to help in any ways, really. Yeah, well, it is helpful. I mean, you're absolutely right. That's totally fair. But uh, God knows, I, I don't know if I'll be able to live long enough to do another... Uh, well, I suppose, no, in the 90s, we did two records in the 90s. So mm. we've already done two in the... Uh, 2000. So no, we've done four in the 2000s. That's right. That's, we're that, talking that's, about here. Yeah. So keep it up. Yeah, I'll do my best. Probably <laughs> as long as I don't get hit by a bus. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, uh, yeah. So this record, and, and I do want to concentrate on Strange Little Birds because it's pulled off this really amazing trick. You know, I, I would call this, and, and I think you've you've said it as much too. Is it's an album that's sort of a reflection of our time. And, and I sort of guess that means worldly issues. But it also sounds like an album that's fighting as much for relationship as it is humanity, and often with those lines blurring. It's kind of an impressive example of the parallels of the two, magnified and wide out at the same time. And I don't know if that was your intention, but it's pulled off masterfully, if so. Well, A, thank you. B, I think there's always a duality in 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 our, us when we when we write, you know. Uh, I think that's always been something we've tried to do is make sure that things can be universal whilst also re- really personal. You know, I think that's when, when writing's at its best, when you're able to pull that off. And I think we did manage to touch on something on this record that, that, uh, that, that really hangs together, and particularly after we sequenced the record. You know, I think we realised because of the way we had selected the songs and then sequenced them, it sort of tells a really vague story in a way and yet manages to be universal and, and deeply personal. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to listen to a song like If I Lost You and, and Even Though Our Love Is Doomed and not think that you are writing specifically for someone or for at least a moment in your life. And, and I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, complete, honest songs is how they come across. Well, uh, certainly If I Lost You is probably the most personal I've ever gotten on record, for sure, because um, it's really, it, it feels uncomfortable for me to sing that to sing that song so I know that that's me being, like, about as truthful as it gets, you know, and I really wanted to try and do that with this record, is go to the places that I was deliberately avoiding for one reason or another, to challenge myself as a writer. You know, I definitely want to grow and, you know, get better at what I do. I want to push myself every record and that. And and so I always sort of set myself little goals, you know, and that was definitely one of them. With the other side of the record, I mean, I wouldn't call it a political record because there's nothing overtly political on it, but at the same time, 
I mean, you, you from again perception, it seems like you're taking the darkness of everything that's happening in the world right now and and saying, "Hey, look at this." I mean, did you go into it wanting to write something that did hit on you know the I'm going to use the word again political side of things? Certainly, we didn't do that deliberately, and never have been interested per se in being a political band with a large P. But I think at this point in our in our lives were becoming increasingly anxious that our culture seems hell-bent on ignoring the truth, really, whatever that truth may be, but is, I guess is different for every individual, but certainly for us in garbage, we feel that uh, world leaders are just ignoring what we see as the truth, which is that we're in real jeopardy, I think, and, and uh, there's the leaders are too interested in being popular, too interested in remaining in power, and, and as a result, not really doing their job. Because sometimes, unfortunately, and any mother or father will tell you the same thing, sometimes when you have to lead your, you know, your, your family, as it were, you, it's not always the popular choice that you have to insist that your, your brood follow. Sometimes you have to make really unpopular choices and insist that people do things that they don't necessarily want to do all the time. You know, as human beings, we always want to do the easiest thing and the, the thing that feels the best, and that's not always the most favorable way forward, I don't think. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know enough about anything to, to know what the solutions to anything are, but I think we as a band feel somewhat alarmed about the way we're all headed, and we just wanted to put that on record in as sort of simple a fashion as, as we could. I mean, I think the most powerful line on this entire record is, I'm really getting desperate for a revolution. Uh, to me, it's to every, um, be careful what it is you break. Every fragile thing, you know, can't be fixed. To me, that is the most powerful like line on the record, in a way. I think we, we are becoming very careless as a race, you know, and I don't know. I, 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 I feel panicked a lot of the time because it, everything seems so out of control, you know, and... And everything's become so disrespectful and intolerant and unkind and ungenerous and breaks my heart because I feel like we're we're all better than that, you know, but we seem to be really tending towards our worst selves rather than our best selves most of the time. Yeah, yeah, and and excuse me if I'm taking another line out of context, but, you know, when I had it empty and here you say, I get tired of trying, like... I, I relate to that in the in the context that we're talking about right now, you know, because uh, I, I too am passionate about a lot of the things you're saying here, and it just gets so overwhelming sometimes. It's like you know, maybe if I just live in my own bubble and take care of myself and the people around me, you know, the uh, the act or think globally, act locally sort of mantra, you know, because absolutely, I think everybody's beginning to feel like that, you know, where they feel powerless. I think so many of us feel so powerless because everything seems so much bigger than us, and uh, we do tend to remain in our bubbles and create our own reality via our telephones, you know, (laughs) Um, and justify any stance that we may hold by finding it on the Internet. And I don't know, I just think it can get very bewildering and disorientating and, oh, yeah... Who knows? I think that's why we all gravitate towards happy music all the time. We don't really want to look into the shadows anymore. It seems too scary. 
but but you're right. I mean, it's it's why we turn to music. It's why we find the relations uh, within those lyrics, and you know, and, and maybe that's why I've fallen so hard for your album too. I mean, it sounds great. It's a great record, you know, uh, on the surface. But you know, there's it's 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 onion skinned, as they say. You know, I can I can keep peeling back those layers and find something new in this, which is. Oh, I love that. That's a lovely description. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what we certainly hope to do. And we do think we've made a sort of beautiful record, which is sort of the records that we love to listen to, that, that do work on a lot of different levels, depending on how you're feeling. And the one thing I think we really managed to do on this record, which I think we've probably never managed to do before, is capture the sound of a human, you know, a heart beating. Like, you can really feel that it's a human record made by humans rather than... The machines, you know, when we hear a lot of pop music nowadays, you can really hear the machine, you know, behind sure. most most of the of the artists, unless they're exceptionally brilliant, you know. But on our record, you definitely feel that there's a pulse, and that's really hard to achieve on a record yeah. at the best of times, you know. Is it easy for you guys now, or, or do you still, I mean, just from knowing people for so long, I, I feel like you would know each other's tricks and how to, to get to the end result, or, or do you find yourself that you still really have to work at finding the magic that you're talking about? It's funny, it's a bit of both, because I do feel that it's always hard to find magic. That's always what you're mining for, all of us together. Every day we go into the studio and we hope to find that magic, and somehow or other on this record we did it. And we didn't know we had until we sequenced the record, and then we all realized, wow, this is something special for us. But So it's, it's always a challenge, but it's also, it does become, the pursuit becomes easier because you do trust each other more, um, and you know each other's toolbox, which in itself is great. Like nowadays, we really know who to toss toss the opportunity to when we're in the studio. It's like there's just moments when you know, okay, we need to go to, to Duke or Steve for this or Boots or Shirley. Each member has something that they have that the others don't have, and so we work very well together as a team, and we rely on each other, and we share a, a real sensibility, which does make things easier after a while. Well, it shows. I mean, like I said, the whole thing, I know I've given you a dozen compliments on this, but one more can't hurt. <laughs> it never hurts, right? <laughs> uh, Strange Little Birds, one of your strongest records, and I'm just so happy that you guys are still out there and still having fun with this and still creating. Uh, I can't imagine that you could not otherwise create because it seems, <laughs> you know, so part of everything, I guess. But uh, but thank you so much, Shirley. It was really great talking thank to you, you today. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, you too. Have a good rest of your day. Don't get hit yeah. by a bus. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> Bye. A 2016 interview there with Shirley Manson. Now, I also interviewed Butch Vig just last year. I'm actually not going to include that one on here because uh, we talked about a lot of other things that weren't garbage. We did talk about a little bit of garbage, though, so I do encourage you to seek that out wherever you get podcasts from. Just uh, search for Kyle Meredith with Butch Vig. And definitely check out the brand new garbage. Again, it's called No Gods, No Masters. Thanks to Shirley Manson. Thanks to Duke Erickson. uh, Thanks to Butch Vig. And even though we've never talked, I'll go ahead and just uh, thank Steve Marker as well. Why not? Thank the whole band of Garbage, one of my all-time favorite bands. Thanks to you for checking out this episode. Please do hit the subscribe button before you get out so you can keep up with uh, great interviews like this one. Three times a week, new ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, and YouTube for the video versions. After that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. 
It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all three of them at Kyle Meredith, uh, TikTok at Kyle Meredith 81. Like and follow along. Make sure to say hi when you do. That does it for another edition of Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you for for you you doing me. (laughs) It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.